you know, that's really the key to success. If you're coming out with a product, we feel, and you're all marketing and you're all sales, and you're not spending a lot of time researching, like, well, what do people care about? What do the regulators care about? What do the players care about? Who are we? Like, who do we want to be in this equation? And then, and then going from there, I think that is, uh, that's one thing that motivates our team and really drives us, but also I think has, has propelled us to where we are today. Well, today on Afternoon Tea, I am super duper excited to have the Anna Sainsbury join us. Anna, before we start, let me just set this up, please. Anna Sainsbury is the chairman of GeoComply and has worked in the area of compliance for the gaming sector since her first role at TT or TST in 2005. In 2011, Anna set up GeoComply, an innovative new company aimed at filling a crucial missing piece of the USI gaming jigsaw, the ability to accurately locate players to within state borders and to detect and block popular location spoofing technologies such as VPNs, DNS proxies that allow a player to manipulate their location data. I can see that why this would be important for, for casino or iGaming, pardon me. Building a robust solution from the ground up to meet the stringent requirements of the iGaming industry, Anna then went on the road to meet with state and federal legislators, as well as gaming regulators, operators, and vendors. These meetings provided the education and information required to provide confidence that if they wish to offer interstate online gaming and or betting lotteries, etc., that a geofencing location solution was available to ensure that federal laws would not be would not be breached by transactions leaking out of state. Anna, that was hard to say. Thank you so much for <laughs> joining me today. Thank you for having me. I don't have anything else to say about what we do then. You've uh, well, explained the, it all clearly. So I'll, I'll just clap again and we're done, I guess, right? We can take it in, we can take it out. But no, 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 people want to know about what you do. I mean, you had very exciting news recently uh, about a, an investment that took you to a certain, I don't think people can see it, uh, you know, here, but a certain unicorn level, which which is rare in Vancouver and in a, in a real honor. And, uh, you know, I actually want to start off by saying congratulations on, on building a, 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 a great business, a, a huge business on on something that wouldn't traditionally be built by a Canadian for the American industry, which I love the story of. I truly do. Um, well, tell you what, why don't we just go right to brass tacks? Please tell me the story behind GeoComply and GeoGuard. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know how many of your listeners follow U.S. federal legislation closely, but it was it was something that that I fell into. I think I essentially get exposed to challenges or opportunities or markets that are struggling with something, and there's tons of that in the gaming market, as I'm sure many of you know. There are, uh, you know, jurisdictions can seem legal, like. 15 years ago, I think our televisions were flooded with poker, especially in Vancouver. Um, and then all of a sudden you find out that most of those operators that are accepting bets in the US or even in Canada weren't actually fully legal. So, um, and that's that's a market that, that I fell into by, by meeting someone that, that owned a, a technical testing company and, and had one of the main offices in Vancouver. So when I was in Washington, DC, about 10 years ago when mm -hmm. I was younger, a little bit more energetic. Um, I understand that. <laughs> we, yeah, we really sort of started to understand that for the US market to open up, um, to allow 
gamers to, at the time, the discussion was really around poker, that we would need to enhance geolocation so that you could not place bets across state lines because that is a federal felony. And in the US, most states, state by state, they, um, they call it states' rights if you, if you follow the regulation, but that you wanted to ensure that if one state allowed online poker or casino and now sports betting, that you would be able to ensure to your neighboring states that you weren't allowing players within the neighboring states to place bets. And because the initial use case was in Washington DC where many people work in DC, but they live in the neighboring states, they frequently use VPNs. 10 years ago, not as many people were using VPNs. Now, 35 to 40% of internet users engage a VPN on a weekly basis. So, um, you know, the whole, the whole subject area of what is geolocation compliance has changed over time, but um, we really look to, to layer on a pinpoint accurate solution so that no matter what you were doing, if you were traveling on a train in New Jersey, you're one of the millions of people that are commuting into New York every day, that as soon as you cross that state line, you would be no longer permitted to play. So New Jersey is one of the biggest markets that we, that we first went live in. And, you know, we track airplanes. So if you're taking off, you're playing a game in New Jersey, you take off on the airplane. And as soon as that airplane is, is up and, and past that New Jersey border that we know where you are, what type of transportation you're on and, and that we can, we can block you. So we take it, we take it seriously and mm -hmm. it's a, uh, you know, a never ending game of cat and mouse. I mean, this is the internet. It's always I evolving. Bet. So, uh, so we enjoy I that bet. challenge. Well, that, I mean, that's really exciting and interesting to hear. Cause I know, you know, 10 years ago around iGaming, it was, there was, I, I want to say the gravity was going against it. Like this, this, the States were making it very challenging to, to, to even, you know, have an online casinos. They were trying to do whatever they want or whatever they could to, to, I guess, to mitigate that, that challenge. And I suppose you brought so much value that, you know, clearly it's looking in a totally different direction now. And, um, you know, I, I, I salute that. That's, that's really awesome. And I also just wanted to touch on one thing, which was the, in the introduction, I loved, and I, and I kept that introduction in the sense that once you started, you went and talked to all the state legislators and probably the, the federal or the, the national ones. And, um, and you learned what the problems were in order to solve it. Do you think it's super important to learn what the problems are before you start building anything? Yes. I mean, we are problem solvers primarily. And so, you know, one of the key drivers for success in, in our organization, and even as we go forward, is we're talking to legislators like, what are your expectations of this industry being successful? What are the markers for it not being successful? And, you know, what it really comes down to, to most regulators and legislators, is that they want to know that you're of age, they want to know that you're legally in a jurisdiction where it's allowed. And they also want to know that if you're having problems, right, if you're, if you're playing too much, if you've stretched yourself too thin, that the industry is going to have programs there to, to support you and also to help you not go too far down a road of having a problem. And so all of those areas are areas that we lean into. So we have the geolocation component. We have the uh, ID and identity component that we're constantly pushing and evaluating and telling regulators where we can do better, right? So, you know, where is technology leading us so that we can have 
greater assurances, even with so much identity, stolen identity information on the internet, right? Like we can still validate users to a high degree of accuracy. And then we also started a nonprofit called Conscious Gaming, where we are helping fund uh, responsible gaming initiatives so that we can really address what the concerns are and, and make sure that we're, we're doing our best and we're bringing best of breed technologies. And I think that, you know, that's really the key to success. If you're coming out with a product, we feel, and you're all marketing and you're all sales and you're not spending a lot of time researching, like, well, what do people care about? What do the regulators care about? What do the players care about? Who are we? Like, who do we want to be in this equation? And then, and then going from there, I think that is, uh, that's one thing that motivates our team and really drives us, but also I think has has propelled us to where we are today. Oh, fantastic. And I'm and here, compliance. I mean, well, first off, I just want to say I really love the fact that you're looking at this holistically. You know, it's not just it's not just the 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 the, the government body, it's not just the player, it's all of them. And as well, you're recognizing that, you know, not only is there challenges with people that might, you know, out leverage themselves with with gaming, and you know, there is there's a certain, you know, um, side of that, which, which is challenging. I mean, I, I, I truly appreciate that, but you know, that's also a problem for the, for the, for the, the government bodies. And the fact that you can kind of be in the middle and try to help that and identify, I mean, you're, you're full service. And I think it's really difficult to be a full service, especially as a, I'm going to use the quotes here, foreigner. I do a lot of quotes because we're here. I mean, how did you, did you have any challenges when discussing with the government bodies that, Hey, we're a Canadian entity, um, you know, or, or are you an American entity too, probably? Maybe that makes it easier. We're an American entity too. And and initially when I started and we really started gaining traction, um, I had an investor visa and, and was permanently living in Las Vegas. So I think, you know, one of the one of the major concerns in the US and especially as states open up is that they want to ensure that employment is increasing within their state, right? That they're they're doing it to create opportunity for for taxation and for employment and and mm -hmm. You know, we have a tremendous team in, in most states that we operate and in Las Vegas. So I think, you know, we do our part to, to support the U.S. And, and I mean, we mm -hmm. don't take for granted. And I think most Canadian companies that are doing a lot of business in the U.S., I mean, our neighbors are, are so important to us. Um, oh, we're partners. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. So well, really that's... Grateful. Oh, that's that that's that's fantastic and hum and humble too, which is which is I think a good part uh, of it. Um, well, you know, we we did some apps in the, in the past for um, a casino, well, for a Vancouver company, but they were working with a casino in Connecticut. Okay, and we quickly realized we might have actually been using your software because we had to use the compliance software that basically said, okay, this state could do this, and you know, it was basically kind of like a well, a very fancy Excel spreadsheet to show with that. But the laws are constantly in motion. How yeah. do you keep on top of that to make sure that, you know, you are offering the proper compliance for your, uh, for your partners? That's the best part. Um, I love the fact that the, the regulators and legislators are constantly moving and we work hand in glove with them to make sure that that's the case. Because I think as soon as you have a market that's stagnant, where the rules aren't changing, I mean, nothing's changing and the tech, and especially in a, in a tech space, the technology is getting older and dated. Even we encourage regulators to look at having updates, right? You want your fraud mm -hmm. software and then the core softwares that you're relying on for integrity to be updated and, and managed. So we have a large, amazing government relations team mm -hmm. um, that looks into this. Our product managers have to focus on what are the expectations state by state and what are the nuances of each state? I mean, 
no two states are the same and where the population sits and how many straight highways do you have in that state that go to another highly densely populated town on the other side of the border. Those are all areas that, that we study and that we monitor before we go live. So, you know, it's, it's really detailed work, but it's fun work. I mean, it's, it's like needing to stay ahead of the curve and it, it, it keeps us all, all motivated and on our toes. Excellent, excellent. Um, well, what's what's the biggest what's the biggest obstacle you're facing these days? Like, what's the biggest challenge as a company that you're facing that you're looking to try to solve? Yeah, well, I think, you know, forward thinking, um, we're definitely, you know, we feel like that the gaming space is is quite predictable. We know what the expectations are, and and as our team really develops our products and and looks at new markets and and where we can go, we've been in film and TV for a long time, as you know. Many people are streaming content. Content can be limited. The early days of Netflix, especially in Canada, I think almost BPN every City. Canadian. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and that's what really pushed some of, you know, the average internet user being able to manipulate location data was because of TV streaming becoming more and more popular. So um, we continue to propel ourselves in that market. And, and that's quite, quite similar in terms of expectations. Um, but really, what can we do in, in finance and payments and the fintech space? And where is that layer of trust? And, you know, is the general market going to push their expectations of their financial institutions to have more improved security? I mean, so frequently, and you tell me if this is true for you, I go and to use my, my banking app and it's down or down for a period of time. How would you feel about the stability of the world if you went to Google and it was down? Oh man, oh man, yeah. No, I mean the CRA I, is constantly <laughs> down. If Google, oh, you know, if Google's I'm not going down, back to Yahoo. Like, is, is the world ending? Like, what's happening? <laughs> is but Ask Jeeves still around? <laughs> yeah, but when it comes to to like you know the financial industry, I mean our expectations are so low, and it's really interesting. And I think that as we really dive into that market and to looking to see you know, how we can decrease fraud and put that money back into society, into, into good people's hands. And, you know, what can we do there? I think that that's one of the challenges that, that we're really looking into at the moment and, and seeing what, what the appetite is. What is the timeline for, for people wanting this change? Because ultimately it comes down to the public saying, we want this now. Convenience, you know, fraud, convenience can't outweigh fraud. The cost, mm -hmm. the cost of fraud is, is higher than I think what people think. So. Oh, I bet. I bet. Well, you know, speaking of fraud, um, crypto. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, okay. I joke about that because I've got a very, a very uh, perspective, you know, love, hate for, for, for all things crypto. But, um, you know, I mean, it's obviously going mainstream. Um, and, you know, you're more on the, the compliance side, the legislature, you're probably not trying to push too much new tech as opposed to having more of a pull from maybe their desire to 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 leverage you know a cryptocurrency or something like that for the gaming mm -hmm. platforms but do you see you know crypto be it uh, cryptocurrency or any of these things as as a potential challenge or an opportunity for iGaming or even an opportunity for uh, for your company well the gaming industry i don't know if when the last time you were in a casino was but sometimes the mm -hmm. most latest and greatest technologies aren't embraced in a casino building for a period no. of time after it might have been invented. So, um, you know, I 
we're still looking at cashless. So using credit cards mm -hmm. in a casino and what are the vulnerabilities of that? And, and actually some of the, the thinking in that area is, is getting more advanced. And one of the cool things is this new responsible gaming technology we've invented mm -hmm. will actually enhance protections if you can go cashless because there's more uh, tracking of transactions and how much a user has, has spent over time. So um, there are some benefits um, that I think are coming down the pipeline with regards to payments, but cryptocurrency is probably a step too far for the US market. I've okay. heard that we might expect it in Europe in the next five years, mm. but I think that's really going to come down to like who's going to be regulating crypto and, and you know, how those regulators feel and then how the gaming regulators are going to feel on top of that. No, I, you know what? I dig that. I mean, the fact is when I'm in Vegas and I'm, I'm not a big gambler myself, um, but you know, I travel a lot. And the fact that you see as many, um, ashtrays all over the place tells you it's not a fast moving culture or, or, or business. And you know what, it doesn't need to be because it's a, you know, it, it offers, um, what they, what, what the market wants right now. So, uh, you know, and exactly. another payment method that might scare them isn't what, you know, is, is, is required. So I, 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 I dig that. Well, do, do you work with other countries too, or is it just, just in the States? Um, so in the gaming space, we are primarily in the States, but we, we do work with some, some larger international operators, um, mm -hmm. like, like, uh, DraftKings, FanDuel. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then we also work in film and TV outside of the, the U S market. So we work with organizations like the BBC. Mm -hmm. Um, so upsetting some British people that might be on holiday, not being able to watch BBC iPlayer from time to time. I hear you. And I do love, I do love my old show of chef that I think I'm going to age myself by saying my favorite BBC show. Uh, um, but uh, no, but you know what you're offering, you're offering valid because at the end of the day, if those companies who own the IP and, or, or even more importantly, that sell the IP to say you're in Canada or something like that, and another organization owns it. Well, the value of that is lost on them. If you're just, you know, skimming it from, from the original the original funnel, uh, which was never meant for you. So uh, I, I think I think this must be a huge growth opportunity in, in that field as well for you. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that I, I think is great is sort of in the in the early days when we started leaning into film and TV and digital rights management, you know, there wasn't as much content. So when it wasn't being limited and, and people were able to use VPNs and to, to access that content without potentially any notice that there would be a restriction if they were outside of the jurisdiction. But now there's so much more content that kind of regardless of where you are, you're gonna be able to access a, a good amount of, of TV or maybe access a, a local solution um, that would have what you're looking to watch. So, you know, I think that as this industry is growing and, and as more and more content is going online and especially the push that we've had from this pandemic, that the availability of content is, is making users you know, more and more happy, but also being able to put more money into funding you know, new, the latest and greatest shows that, that we can all binge watch for a, a nice rainy Vancouver weekend. Yeah, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I you're talking about. So yeah, well, well that, that's that's really interesting. Well, you know what, you were selected as a 40 under 40. What was that experience like? Um, yeah, it was it was really flattering. Flattering, of course, to be recognized, especially in your your hometown. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, especially because we we don't really have we have no business in in Canada at the moment, um, and so it's it's interesting kind of having a business that is being gaining momentum and success and 
nobody knows who you are or what you do. Um, so it was it was really nice to to be recognized. Uh, that's fantastic. Well, that's that, I mean that is fantastic. I, I got to admit when I when I read about the, uh, the the latest investment round, I I hadn't come across you before that. Um, but Jill Jill Tipping actually just before that announcement reached out to me and goes, "You need to talk to Anna and have her on your show." And I'm like, "Oh, I'm not sure who she is. Like, I I just wasn't I wasn't I wasn't aware." I and um, then that announcement came and it's like I do need to have Anna on this. I need to know about this company because this is you know. A fantastic, we'll call it an anchor company in Vancouver, and we we only have again a, a handful of them, even in Canada. And uh, mm. you know, I, I want to learn more, and I think everyone else here should learn more because again, the mission here is for you know telling the, the story of great Canadian companies and seeing how we can maybe cut a little bit of time for the next generation on uh, you know when they, when they become founders. Um, yeah. Well, you know what? Let's 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 go in a totally different direction. Now, my first job, I was oh, well, second job, the first one we won't even talk about. I was a lifeguard. Okay, I okay. Uh, and I learned so much. I had a staff of like by the time I was in university, I had a staff of like seventy underneath me and learned a lot. Okay, now I read that you started your career off in a coffee shop. Yes. Did that train you or prepare you, or what's the one lesson you got from that first job to prepare you for what you're doing now? Um, well, customer service, for Very sure. Good. I mean, Very good. when I worked at a coffee shop, I don't think it's it's quite the same now, but I used to know everybody's drink so I could really? start making it before they would order it, wow. right? And being quick, having a hustle. I mean, there's no shortage of people wanting a coffee in Vancouver mm -hmm. and uh, especially before when we were out and about more. So yeah. I think I, I really, I learned to hustle and mm -hmm. I learned to hustle and be busy, but also constantly focus on on a customer and I think you know ultimately that's the same skill you need when you're running a business I mean 100%. if you're not thinking about who's going to be consuming what you're making then you're probably not thinking about the right things love that love that you got to create value no matter what you do you know that's that's fantastic well one other thing that you know our our research team found out about you which was really interesting okay. to me is you're an adjunct professor i hope i said that right adjunct yeah. professor i did nine years at ubc i should know by now how to say something professor um at the university of new hampshire so what's that about and what do you teach you know what's the focus of that uh, it's on it's on gaming law regulation mm -hmm. and legislation. So really looking at what are the expectations, um, you know, for any student that is looking to get into the U.S. sports betting market, what mm -hmm. should they expect? What are the rules? What are the technical standards documents that developers need to be creating code for? And then how does that go through into compliance and testing? So uh, it's a riveting course. I recommend Very it cool. to anybody. Is it, is yeah. it, is it, is it one of the online as well as, as uh, taught? Uh, it's online. In person? It's all online. Okay, perfect. And can I, can I call you Professor Sainsbury then? <laughs> sure, if you want. Ad, adjunct <laughs> Professor Sainsbury? Adjunct Professor Sainsbury, I think is accurate, yeah. I love that. Well, you know, it's, it's nice to be recognized as the expert you are, you know, not just in the business world, but in the education world too, because, you know, we need to train the next greatest minds to not only, you know, continue pushing the, the next products that you're going to create, but also, you know, helping solve the challenges that are, that are in the industry. And, uh, you know, we all get better that way. Um, well, that's that's pretty cool. Um, well, let's do this, okay? I kind of have this thing. What's one piece of advice? And you've already given some great ones, but what's one piece of advice that you would give to that that young entrepreneur that's about to start out? What's mm. one piece of advice that you give to, to to she or he? 
Yeah, I think, you know, the, the biggest piece of advice I would, I would say is focus on the problem and, and focus on communicating how to solve that problem. And I think, you know, it's definitely something that, that we've done. And, and one thing that I can recognize that, that you need to look out for as you have a problem is the market needs to also want to solve the problem. There's like lots of problems that are out there that people don't want to solve. And if you come talking about the problem too quickly, it can be seen that you've created it. So timing is also everything. And, wow. and, and really, you know, looking for is now the right time for this. You know, there's been lots of amazing technologies. MySpace is, is the perfect example a lot of people go to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a great, a great platform, but, but maybe just a little bit ahead of its time. And, and that can be great to be forward thinking, but if you spend all your money and I think, you know, I always recommend, and, and I've listened to some of your other podcasts that, you know, as much as possible, spend as little money as possible and build products that someone will buy and build your business from selling things. Um, so that at the end of the day, when you do become successful, you can own more shares in the company that you work so hard to create. Very good, very good. Wow, adjunct Professor Sainsbury, that is some amazing and actually really, really great um, um, you know, advice. And, and, I th- you know, when, and when you started giving it, it kind of made me think about one other question was, if it was today, would you be able to create the same company or is the timing wrong? Like, did you have to have done it 10 years ago? I think we got a leg up doing it long, a long time ago because, you know, when we first entered the market, there was a geolocation company out there and they were passing 60% of transactions that went their way. And mm. so that's a huge cost. And in our market today, operators are spending $600 to get a player on their site. So mm. if you're losing 40% of those players, you're a huge cost to them. And what we were able to do in the early days is we were able to learn with them. And so we took that 60% and turned it into a 98, 99% pass rate, which means that we don't become a hurdle in Mm -hmm. that that funnel where you have to the age and ID, geolocated, then deposit money, and then you can start gaming, right? And so for a lot Mm -hmm. of industries, they see all of those things as hurdles. And so we were really able to lean in to what, you know, how our users interacting, how are we incorporating our messaging? Do they know what to expect so that when we ask them to turn mm-hmm. a VPN off, they know what it is or was mm-hmm. something logged them into something that appears to be a VPN. So all of that happened over time, really organically, where if you came into a market that's the size that it is now, I mean, the expectations are very high. And mm-hmm. so there wouldn't be a lot of room for tripping up sometimes. And, sure. uh, and I think that, that we, we got that, uh, we got that experience and, and we also, you know, developed the, the relationships with the regulators on, on what it is they're really looking for. Yeah. And I, I think that's super important. I mean, you built trust, right? I mean, you're, you're hitting the high nineties in your goals. That's, that's, um, that's really, really impressive. And then that also lets you understand the next set of problems and the next set of opportunities for the company to, to help, you know, solve them and, uh, and create even more great things, which, you know, I clearly we've seen you do, and I can't wait to hear the next 50 problems you solve into being even greater, bigger pro- um, products. Um, well, Thank you, Anna. Thank you so much for being on uh, today. It was it was really great uh, hearing about the great stuff you're doing, and, and honestly, we'll be following. Um, you know, you continue, and I hope that uh, you know you continue to make uh, such a, a big name for for, for Vancouver and Canada, and, and and you know bring other opportunities for us too. So uh, I applaud you, and uh, thank you very much. 
Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to meet you. Cheers. Ahoy, Afternoon Tea listeners. If you got this far, I assume you like this episode, and that is awesome. Thank you. In such a case, please rate and review Afternoon Tea Podcast and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your feeds from. Afternoon Tea is a podcast with a goal to share the stories of Canada's successful tech entrepreneurs in order to prepare the next wave of founders. We do have some great guests lined up for future episodes, but we would love to hear your thoughts too. Please do let us know who you think should be on the show. You can do so by emailing me at podcast at ttt.studio. That is P-O-D-C-A-S-T at TTT, that is three T's, dot studio. You will notice there is no dot com because we are that sophisticated. Furthermore, you can find us at social media at TTT underscore studios. I look forward to chatting with you soon.